City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Welcome to a very special episode of The Stinger on the All Hornets Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Plarai. And for this episode, I've been known as UK Bobcats. More on that later, not the British birds. And um, we will become very clear shortly. Joining us today is a 17-year NBA veteran of the NBA. It's Matt Ruchinski, uh, Vice President of Digital Media. I believe I'm getting that right now for the Charlotte Hornets. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast. James, I am absolutely pumped to be joining this podcast with you. There is no doubt about it. And, and you're right. After 18, this is now entering my 18th season with the Hornets. It's just going to be absolutely amazing. And I'm looking forward to it, but also looking forward to reminiscing a little bit with you here. Absolutely. It's 18 years more or less than you done as Haslam. It feels right around that kind of sort of time. Maybe, maybe he's still got a few years on you yet. Uh, more or less than who? I'm sorry. Udonis Haslam for the Heat. Oh yeah, I know, right? He's it's it's pretty close. I think you know what I think I've I think earned that I've earned that veteran status. There's no doubt. I mean, I'm at the point in time now where I've been working <laughs> in professional sports longer than I haven't been working in professional sports. At 47, you know, I've got 23 or 24 total years in in professional sports. It's just a crazy thing to think about at this point. Yeah, and we're going to be touching on uh, a range of topics today. We're going to be looking a little bit about how. The NBA has changed um, some of your favorite moments and most challenging moments with the Hornets, and then looking at some of the kind of interesting uniforms and campaigns over the years. So a, a range of topics to look at. First, I want to kind of, I want to let the people know about how we first met and how we first met each other, which um, I have to give Matt a little bit of credit here for probably being the, the person who really got me into writing about the NBA in the first place. When I was 16 and in school, the uh, bobcats.com at the time had a, held a blogging competition. Um, I, I don't know how much you remember about the blogging competition, but um, do you remember it at all? Oh, I remember the blogging competition as we were trying to add more people to our blog squad back then is what we were calling it. So, yes, I definitely squad, Yeah. It. And um, I, I, I applied and I, I, I remember I wrote a few articles for the Bobcats website for that season and that was what, what really got kind of got my, you know, interest really peaked to the NBA and started the, the Bobcats and Hornets snowball to, to this point. So if it wasn't for you coming up with the blog squad, Matt, we might not be having this conversation. I mean, I think the blog squad and all those chats we used to do before, you know, before social media was really a thing, doing those live chats that were on bobcats.com. Sometimes it was just me, you, and I think like three other people from time to time. But You've always been a tremendous fan. I saw your passion early on, even at that young age, and it was just great to see somebody who was such a big fan, even if they were overseas. It was just amazing to me to see that you were staying up late and, and continue to do that in these situations, man. It's it's a credit to you, and you would have made it some way or another with the passion that you have. There's no doubt about it. You've always been talented from a very young age, and I'm, I'm pumped to see you kind of where your career has gone and how, how you've been able to kind of take off with this. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I don't take compliments kindly or well at all. So we're just going to skip right <laughs> over all my stuff. And um, for, for anyone under the age of 18, 
Uh, do you want to explain what a live chat was? Because people probably don't even know what that was anymore. Yeah, I know. It's it's basically take Twitter and put it onto one page in one box, in essence. But, you know, we were sitting there and you couldn't see each other. You couldn't do anything. It was just made one page that was kind of set up. And, and it was just like texting back and forth uh, and, and just a larger group where we would invite different fans to come in and and we had to get creative because some of those were in the pretty lean years of Bobcats basketball when wins weren't necessarily coming every day. So we had to kind of come up with creative things to keep people engaged and coming back. Things have changed a lot now from what I used to do then with clip art and Photoshop and everything like that to try and engage these guys. Uh, but it was a fun time because it was really a chance to find those real passionate fans and it, there were times in my career when I was sitting back there going, man, I hope people are paying attention and I hope people care as much as I do. And to find that handful of fans, I still, I still associate with a lot of the guys that were on that, uh, on those chats on Bobcats.com. Um, and it's great to run into them and kind of reminisce about those days of, you know, the hover cat and all those different things we used to kind of throw up on there just, to kind of bring in some fun, stupid things that just made things interesting for fans. Wow, the hover cat. I've that's not a term I've heard for a long, a long time. The hover cat. What that we used the hover cat at the time was it of a comeback that was needed, or yeah, was, what was the hover cat using? Because the hover cat kind of came about when we had the on the prowl statement, and I don't remember who sent me. Somebody from the chat sent me this photo of this bobcat flying through the air, and we called it the hover cat. And anytime we needed to do a big rally or get a big comeback, we would call for the hovercat power to kind of take over. And it was it was one of those things that was stupid, but it seemed to work from time to time and, and got us excited. And then I started using it to try and initiate it. And then you guys all started coming back to it and started calling for it when a big run would happen or something would you know go on where the Bobcats would go down big. The, the fans themselves would call for it to come back. I still have it. It's on my wall just to the right of me, honestly. It's just one of those things that will always stick with me is one of those moments of, man, this is this is back when it was Slim Pickens back in those days. And and being the Charlotte basketball franchise, it was probably needed quite a lot, the Hovercat. Probably most games, I think. So Pretty much every game, I think, at that yeah. point in time. Um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about you and something we've spoken about before is your journey into working within NBA digital media. Um, so it'd be really great to hear a little bit about the route to your position you're in now. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try and sum it up as best I can in a short period of time because uh, it's been a little bit of a crazy journey for me. I mean, I started off, I graduated from Grand Valley State University. Uh, with an English language and lit degree. I had no idea what I was going to do when I got out of college. Uh, and I saw a job. I, honestly, I wanted to be a college professor teaching Shakespeare, believe it or not. That was what my goal was. I have Shakespeare tattooed on my left ankle. That was kind of the direction I wanted to go was the first tattoo I got and was like, hey, this is going to be my career. Not the case. I moved up to the upper peninsula of Michigan after I graduated and saw an ad for a part-time sports writer in the Marquette Mining Journal, which was, we like to call the largest daily paper in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I think it was the only daily paper in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. But at the time, uh, it really helped my career in, in the NBA, believe it or not, because that was the year uh, in 2000 when Michigan State won the NCAA tournament. And I had the chance to follow them around because Tom Izzo is from the Upper Peninsula. 
and not a lot of people knew about it, but he was a local hero up there for what he was able to do. And so for the first year in my career, really covering it, uh, I had the chance to follow Tom around during the, the national championship season. And he was absolutely tremendous uh, in terms of how he treated me and the respect he gave me. And it really made me fall in love. I knew I always loved writing and I always loved sports, but it really solidified um, that this is what I was going to do. So I did that for about a year and a half, um, became an assistant sports editor up there, uh, went to go visit my brother who was living in Texas at the time. And my ex-wife told me, hey, I want you to find a job when you go down there. No pressure there, right? Uh, but we just kind of had gotten sick of the fact that in December, the previous that year, um, we had 196 inches of snow in December alone. I mean, I was driving with chains on my tires to high school football oh, wow. games through blizzards and, and having snow that was kind of above my car and thinking to myself, what am I doing? One day this is all going to pay off. Uh, so I went to Texas and I saw a magazine called Space City Sports in a local sports bar and I was flipping through it and I was like, man, this thing is not put together well. Uh, so I went back to my brother's house and the next morning I called the guys at Space City and told them that I was a writer and I was also uh, had been an assistant editor and was used to laying out newspapers and such and that their magazine needed some help. It was a big chance that I took to call a place and tell them that. Uh, but they surprisingly said, really, we'd love to talk to you some more then. Why don't you come into the office? I went in their offices that afternoon, talked to the guys for about two hours, kind of broke everything down. Uh, didn't know if anything was going to come of it. And a week later, they gave me a call and offered me a job to be their sports editor for Space City Sports, covering all high school pro uh, and college sports in Houston. Uh, so I had an opportunity to cover the Rockets then. I had the opportunity uh, to cover the Houston Astros baseball team. The Houston Texans NFL team didn't even exist when I first took the job. Uh, and so I worked there for two years, and the Texans had come into existence and started covering them as well. Uh, unfortunately, it was a paper that wasn't around for much longer after that. Uh, they didn't have the financial backing that was needed. And I walked in one day after covering Texans practice, and they told me the paper was folding. And I was like, okay, this is great. What am I going to do? I have absolutely no idea. I was going to go back to working at the Olive Garden like I did when I was in college and being a server to try and make money for my family. Uh, and then I got a call um, – from the Texans themselves. And they asked me if I would be interested in running the Houston Texans weekly magazine. I had good relationships with the PR guy over there. Uh, and one thing I will say is relationships mean everything in this business. This is why we're talking, James. You know, I mean, you had a great relationship with me early on and, and you never know where that can take you. So the guy from the Texans offered me the job running the Houston Texans weekly. I did that for about a year um, as well as the Rockets asked me if I wanted to cover game nights and just run stats and all that kind of stuff in the Steve Francis and Catino Mobley era back then. Uh, so I did that, both of those things concurrently, until a full-time internship opened up with the Rockets in media relations as a PR guy. And my boss, so to speak, on Hornets game or Rockets game nights back then asked me if I would be interested in doing it. And I, I took the chance and, and made that leap. And what a leap it was, man, for me, because what I didn't know was when I became full-time there um, that we would be signing Yao Ming as the first ever Chinese number one overall draft pick uh, a year later. So I had the opportunity to go through Yao Ming's rookie season. It was a 
media frenzy, so to speak. And it really kind of got me used to what the NBA could be and how big of an impact it could make. And to this day, Yao is still one of my top five guys in terms of people that I'd love to cover. Was just an amazing individual, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But when I say relationships matter, at that time, you know, the Bobcats were forming. Uh, they had hired a game operations director that worked from Houston in the first year of the Bobcats. And I, so I wasn't here in Bobcats year one. Uh, and and it's kind of a side note there, and an odd fact is the only team that the Bobcats swept in their inaugural season was the Houston Rockets. So I absolutely hated the Bobcats because I was like, how did we get swept by an expansion team with the guys that they had on that team? Who is this Gerald Wallace guy? And who's Primo Brezic? I've never even heard of these people. And and they swept us. And next thing I knew, a buddy of mine was calling me asking if I'd be interested in a position here. Uh, I figured, <laughs> what the heck? I had no idea about the city of Charlotte and flew down here, interviewed, and had the opportunity to take a job. And it was as the new media manager for the Charlotte Bobcats back then. All I did was write game stories. I had no ties to the internet or anything like that. I wasn't running the website or anything. Uh, and just kind of throughout the course of my career, things have changed. I know we'll get into that too. And, and I evolved as the job evolved and have had a tremendous opportunity since. And it's all been just about those relationships. It was because I treated people the right way, had good relationships with folks early on. Uh, and they remembered that. And that's why the Texans called me. That's why the Rockets called me. And that's why things like this, like I say, when I, when I told you earlier before we started, man, I'm so proud of you and, and the job that you've done because you've maintained good relationships and you continue to follow your passion. So I think it's going to be great to see where you go as well. So now I'm at the point in time I'm running this digital department over here, and it's I've, I've gone from a staff of one to a staff of 14, and it's just been amazing. And talk about taking the initiative there. Like you said, you, you called up the magazine, and you said, I think you can do this better, and they invited you in. And I think a lot of people wanting to get into digital media, uh, journalism uh, it's all kind of merged now to some extent hasn't it but I, I just think that's still a lesson new today it might not be print but it might be a website or something that if you go on and you think I think you could be doing this better like just just reach out and contact them and I think sometimes people will ad admire that so um for your for your tattoo your Shakespeare tattoo uh, have you been to like a, a tattoo saver to turn it into like a hornet or something of that nature <laughs> you know, I'm sure they have, they have those shows that they have in America right Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do tattoo redo or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Put wings on them or something. No, I'm still a big Billy Shakespeare, Billy Shakes fan. You know, I, I, I loved him as I was growing up and I, and I love that idea. I played Romeo and Romeo and Juliet in a college production, believe it or not. Used to have hair down to nearly my middle of my back. And it was, you know, it was, it was a fun time back then. I've lost all of that hair since then though, but never lost well, that love of Shakespeare. I don't. I, this is a completely off topic topic for basketball people. But if you know Lawrence Olivier, Lawrence Olivier, if you study Shakespeare, yeah. Well, he is my great uncle. So. Oh no kidding! That's yeah, crazy. that's a true story. His his wife is Joan Plowright, which is my granddad's sister. So um, he yeah. is. I'm in the. I'm in the family. I'm. Fre I'm in the family of the Oliviers. See, maybe that's how I knew you were a good person right from the start. Somehow, <laughs> how about that? Yeah, so there you go. For for you Shakespeare fans out there, there's a little bit of interest. There's a bunch of people going, who is Lawrence Olivier <laughs> right now? <laughs> but 
but I, prom I promise you he is legit famous. I'm not like clutching at straws here. He, he uh, is. It, There's it, no question. my one claim. Um, I mean, the Yao Ming thing, you you must that you must have mentioned that in job interviews for like the rest of your life, like covering Yao Ming. That must have been such a unique experience. It must have given you some kind of preparation in, in some regards when it came to Jeremy Lin, maybe Lamello to some extent in terms of the level of media attention. Um, that must have been really useful for you. Yeah, it's definitely was helpful and useful in my career as it's gone and expanded and, and had the chance to see, like I said, media frenzy is the best way I could describe it. I've never seen as many media members. Um, you know, the Hornets had the chance to go to China as well. And Yao was treated as if he was a, a rock star over there. I mean, it was there were people shaking the bus when they were out there just because they wanted to get a chance to see Yao. And it just was overwhelming. And at such a young age, that's crazy to see. But you're right. It did kind of play into when we did have Jaylin and we were able to go to Shanghai and, and Shenzhen, China. It was, it was a tremendous trip. But to see the media kind of coverage around that as well was insane. And, and like you said, with what's going on with the Mello right now, you know, he's definitely somebody who's one of those polarizing figures, those, you know, generational kind of talents, the same way Yao was. And it's, it's, it was good. I didn't know at the time that, hey, I'm experiencing that's something that's pretty amazing and that's going to be great for me to reference back to. Uh, but it was extremely beneficial for me and really helped me as I, my career continued to build. So looking at how the kind of NBA digital media landscape has evolved over time, we talked a little bit about how it, how it was back in the day with, with the chats and the game recaps. Um, how would you describe where, where it is now? Um, what would you say are kind of the big focuses for NBA digital media departments, parts and other teams and yourself? I mean, everything flipped on its head, uh, to be honest with you, and had a complete reversal of what was the most important thing and what were we leaning towards. You know, everything used to be the website. Everything used to be just bobcats.com, direct people back to your website. We might have used Facebook at the time to kind of push things back there and put a little stuff up early on. But I still remember uh, the first time we decided to open a Twitter account, it was because there was an intern here with the Bobcats who came into my office one day and said, you should look at starting a Hornets Twitter account. And I said, what is Twitter? I have no idea what you're talking about. She's like, and she told me, she said, it was one of those things where you can put in 160 characters what you're feeling and then put it out in, in, on the internet. And I said, so basically like a status update on Facebook. And she said, yeah. I said, that's stupid. Why would anybody do that? Like, what's the point? Like, okay, so you just want to know in 160 characters what I'm up to? No one wants that kind of information. Thankfully, I did go back to my office that day and start Hornets Twitter, the at Bobcats Twitter account back then, uh, and, and was able to kind of see where this has taken off. And it's all, like I said, it's all flipped where the emphasis used to be there. We know that social media powers us right now. We know that social is where fans go to digest all their information, to find that behind the scenes content, all of it. It's no longer just the website uh, and, and so much so that it's more important on social than it is the website. And that was, that was a little bit of a difference because you change your primary focus and what your primary resource was, but it was something that needed to be done as, as things progressed and each new thing came along from Instagram to TikTok. It's just been crazy to think None of those things existed when I started this job and now how much they drive what we do and how beneficial they are for us and our fans. It, it just came into my head when you were talking then, when you started the Bobcats Twitter account, when the, the team became the Hornet, 
if, answer this if you can. Did you have to like, you know, contact some kid who created like at Hornets Twitter who owned like a was an ultra Hornet like fan or kept, like studied Hornets or something or, or was that already available? No, thankfully the NBA um, was very helpful in that transition when we changed our name to make sure that we could land the at Hornets name. Uh, but we did experience something like that back with Bobcats. When we, I first started with the Bobcats, uh, Bobcats.com was a lady who had a Bobcats refuge of some sort. And at that I'm time... It's a Tiger King here, isn't it? It's like Tiger King. Yeah, yeah, maybe, who knows? Maybe it was. I don't know exactly who it was. Uh, but Imagine she Joe it. Exotic linked to Charlotte Hornet. <laughs> <You know, laughs> don't write that, anyone. Don't write that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, she she ran Bobcats.com. And at the time, it was one of those, you know, at that time, that's when websites were being sold for massive amounts of money as people were trying to kind of land those and flip them and turn around. But she didn't want to sell it. She didn't want to do anything. She wanted to keep it for her Bobcats. And so we were bobcatsbasketball.com for a while, which try and convince people to go visit bobcatsbasketball.com. It's not the easiest URL to drive people to by any stretch of the imagination. So we were thrilled a couple of years later when it finally opened up and we were able to grab that bobcats.com name from her. <laughs> That's a great story. Um, in terms of you've like been here 17 going to 18th season, what are some of your favorite all-time moments with the Hornets? And, and they can be anything, a moment from a game, a moment amongst your co-workers. What are some of your favorite moments looking back, reflecting on your time? I mean, I, I can go through a couple, a handful of them here because they were absolutely amazing. I mean, for me, early in my career, one of, the, one of my favorite personal moments was the moment I realized Gerald Wallace would only talk to me in the locker rooms uh, because I had <laughs> developed such a good relationship with him early on when no one really right. cared. Uh, other reporters would ask him questions and he would look at me and answer the questions. And, and to me, I was like, a, wow, this is kind of an I've made it kind of moment. Um, that first playoff appearance when we made it in 2009, even though we got swept by the Orlando Magic, that was an incredible Orlando team back then. But just to get us over that hump from all of those years of losing to finally be able to make the playoffs um, was a great moment. And then to follow that up, uh, uh, in the 2010-11 season to know that MJ bought the team and to be able to sit down and do a one-on-one -on -one interview with Michael Jordan and have him call me Maddie and tell me, hey, Maddie, if, if you screw this interview up, you're never going to get another one. Uh, and <laughs> I talk about no pressure when the GOAT tells you you're about to do an interview and you better not screw it up or you're never going to be able to do another interview with him. But he, he was joking around, of course, but I went through it without any retakes or anything like that. We never had to stop, and we went straight through in a 25-minute interview, I think it was, and afterwards he told me, Maddie, you're going to be all right in this business. So to hear MJ tell you something like that, that, that was just an amazing moment. And then to follow it up in that same year with Gerald Wallace making the All-Star team and finally giving the Bobcats their one and only All-Star that they ever had and giving us that national recognition to put one of our players on a stage in Dallas – was just amazing to me. He didn't do too well in the dunk contest, I know, and I know he had nerves in the game like most guys do in game one of their all-star appearances. But just to be there really kind of put us on the map. And then following that up in 2013 and 14, one of the coolest things I remember was when I heard we were signing Al Jefferson because we were a smaller market team, one of those teams where people said no one would ever want to go play for us and in Charlotte. It's not a destination and then to have a guy like Al Jefferson 
at the start of free agency come out and say he was signing with the Bobcats um, was just an amazing moment because it really solidified that this team could be something and could be a destination for players to want to come play. And he really wanted to come play with Kemba and just amazing time. So, um, but then I think that the return of the Hornets is something I will always remember incredibly from 2014 and 15, just to not only get the team back, but to also get the history back with it from the New Orleans Pelicans um, for them to kind of transfer that over. And the way we did it when we came back on opening night against the Bucks, I mean, it was just one of the, I still get chills just thinking about it. Like seriously, because we were down 24 points in the third quarter and to come back in that game, Kemba to hit the game tying three pointer with 1.3 seconds left after struggling as much as he was, and then go on and win the game in overtime. Like, it was just one of those surreal moments. We printed commemorative tickets for it, uh, you know, with the Hornets returning. And on the commemorative ticket, it said two words, the comeback. We had no idea it was going to be a 24-point 24 24 comeback in the third quarter, which is why I still have that just on the desk behind me or on the, on the cabinet behind me over there because it was just insane. And the, and the Hornets returning, what it meant to this city – what it meant to our fans and what it's ended up meaning to our employees and our players and everyone around the organization. It was just amazing to be able to be a part of that. And I had never gone through something that was a complete change in brand and restructure and bringing back something that people so desperately wanted. Uh, but honestly, the, the number one moment that I think was probably if I had to break it down to one game, one place, one time, that I'll never forget it would be game five in Miami uh, in 2015-16. You know, I had a tremendous opportunity to be able to travel with the team throughout my career and to see us tie things back up here in Charlotte at two of games apiece and head to Miami where we, we were sitting, the fans were right on top of us. I mean, there was Miami fans sitting right behind myself and Aaron Gradwell, now Pittsburgher. Shout out to her. She was one of the most amazing people I've ever had a chance to work with. But her and I sitting there is the only two people wearing Hornets purple and just getting yelled at nonstop from behind about how horrible we are. And to see us be able to take that game and take control of it. And then when the Heat came back and took control themselves, the last minute and what Courtney Lee was able to do to this day has been one of my favorite moments that I will ever have with the Bobcats and Hornets. Just to win that game feel like we were, you know, in a place where great things were going to happen. It was just a great time for to be a Hornets fan after that game. Unfortunately, two days later, it didn't really work out too well. So that might be one of those worst moments, but we can get to that eventually. So <laughs> not only that, but also seeing Pemba become an all-star, all those things. I mean, there's so many amazing moments that I've had because of this franchise. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I wrote down what I thought – you might say here and I had crash all-star and Courtney Lee shot so I'm glad to go I, I went for two for two there uh, you did you killed it man um the the MJ interview I'm, I'm sure you know fans would love to hear from him again so make sure you dial him up and let him know that uh, let's, let's redo that interview a few years on again right right we'll see um, what we can do yeah um yeah, that, that Courtney Lee shot was just a moment wasn't it where everyone just believed for the first time probably for a long time that this team could actually get past that first round. I, I mean, I remember exactly where I was when I watched it uh, in a moment. And um, 
yeah, what what an incredible moment from Hornets history. Like you say, it's a shame it didn't didn't work out better by the end of it. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that you know I, I know you had also mentioned to me you were gonna ask me what m- one of my most challenging moments were or those things that hands down game six was probably one of the worst moments of my career. <laughs> one of to know that we had kind of had that game, we had momentum coming into it, we were ready to go into that second round, uh, and and that Dwayne Wade wasn't necessarily uh, the Dwayne uh, Wade of old at that time. Uh, had missed what 22 consecutive threes hadn't made one since December heading into the playoffs and then hits the two clutch three pointers in the fourth quarter. We all know that story. Uh, It was, it was, that was heart wrenching and, and to get on the plane and have to go back to Miami and sit with those same fans that were screaming at us all game and game five that we got to turn around and see them all be quiet you know, at the end of game five to sit there through game seven when things obviously weren't going to go our way. I mean, if we were going to win that series, we were going to win it in game six. That was just as, as much fun as Aaron and I had in Miami on that, that, that a few days earlier in game five, it was equally as miserable. In game five. Adam Morrison's ghost just jumped off your wall. <laughs> genuine, genuinely did. I've got some hanging jerseys on my wall, and they're on hooks. And the hooks has just launched itself off the wall. Um, it was Adam Morrison knew we were going to talk about it in a minute. <laughs> we will, I mean, wow. for sure. Wow. Okay. So, so sorry about that. If you heard some things falling off my wall there, just at the end of that, that story. Um, but before we get on to the some kind of most challenging moments, I just want yeah. to take a quick minute. Um, for remind people to go rate and review our podcast. So you're on the All Hornets Podcast Network on Apple or anywhere else you can find us. Give us a rating if you're enjoying the podcast so far, and we've, we've got more stories up to come now. So, uh, Matt, yes, let's let's move on. Let's talk about some of the more challenging moments over the years. You talked about that that Game Seven in Miami. Um, yep. What are some of the moments that stick out from your time? I mean, 2011-12 is an entire season that was probably the worst moment. I mean, at that point in time, you know, we had come heading out of a lockout year. Uh, you know, we great news. The best thing that happened in that was we drafted Kemba Walker and Bismarck Biombo, uh, but they didn't have a chance to have a preseason. They didn't have a chance to have a training camp. Guys were thrown into it after the lockout. Uh, and, you know, we wanted to go 7-59 and 59, uh, in that year uh, to become the worst record percentage-wise in NBA history. We don't have the most amount of losses in a season because it wasn't a full season, um, but still beat the 76ers in terms of worst record ever. And you think, okay, that's a tough year to go through, and that might be a tough moment. I think the hardest thing about that was because at that point in time, it wasn't as much about social media. It was everything still on the Hornets' websites, and stories were more important, what what the reporting we were doing through – you know, Bobcats.com at that point in time was so crucial to us, but I had the challenge of having to write 23 games in a row of losing stories. I don't know if any writer, anybody covering a professional sports team has ever had to endure a 23-game losing streak in one season. Um, And not only a 23-game losing streak, but a 23-game losing streak to end the season. So with 23 games left, we're sitting there going, okay, we've got seven wins right now. We'll probably finish the season with 10, 11, 12, something. And then the losses just kept adding up and kept adding up. And it was, it was 
tough to watch Kemba have to go through that kind of a rookie season, but I really think it hardened him and it made him want to win so much more. Um, but I'll tell you what, right, like I said, writing 23 losing stories in a row, it was consistently harder to find things to talk about that would keep bringing fans back. Uh, however, I think by the time we got towards that last game or two, it was one of those things, well, if we're going to be bad, we might as well be one of the worst at this point. And after the season, I was, was going to ask, did, you, yeah. you were aware as a, as a team about the, the losing winning percentage in history as the season progressed. People were aware and talking about that? People started talking about it when we got down to about 10 games left. Like, you know, the, we had lost 13 in a row, still stuck at seven. And you saw it start to pop up online where, where ESPN might talk about it or somebody else might kind of throw something in there or you might see something on SportsCenter. Is this team headed this way? And so we started becoming more aware of it. I don't know how aware of it they were in the locker room. I wasn't going to talk to the guys downstairs about it. That was that was something definitely you don't want to do. You, you want to hope they, they can find and lock in. But, yeah, it was something that was definitely talked about and we knew it was happening. Um, so much so that at the end of the season, I, I, I you know, we, we do player signings every year and, and get autographed basketballs, et cetera. I made sure that I got everyone that was on my staff of four at that point um, assigned basketball from the season. And I said, why would I want to sign basketball from this season? And I said, because no matter what, any point in time in your career, keep it. I got it on the shelf behind me on which one of the side, one of these sides over here. There it is right there. Uh, I said, keep it. I said, leave it in your office. Leave it wherever you go. Because no matter what in your career you face, you will never face a challenge as hard as that was. It, as hard as trying to continuously drive folks to our arena, continuously drive folks to our website, and make them care about a team that was obviously struggling so much. And it wasn't a bad team. I mean, they were good guys. It just wasn't the right combination of things, and things started to just kind of snowball, and they – they couldn't control it anymore, but it definitely led to greater things down the road. And, and, uh, you know, but unfortunately it also led to the probably one of well, top three worst moments for me or hardest moments for me would be that following lottery when we were slated to be number one. It was, you know, we had the best odds, obviously, you're coming off the worst season ever, but you got a guy like Anthony Davis who was sitting there in front of us. And I think everybody was excited about the opportunity to have, you know, that generational kind of talent guy, like we were talking about with Yao Ming, like we talked about with LaMelo Ball. We thought that that was going to be something. And, and Aaron and I were in, you know, New York, Secaucus for the draft lottery. And it wasn't just Aaron and I, we also – did a lucky fan contest and brought two fans with us who we got to go out to dinner with and have a couple drinks with and everything like that the night before. And we were all pumped for the lottery coming up and then to sit there in that lottery room with them and us and hear uh, them announce that the New Orleans Pelicans were getting the number one pick uh, was just absolutely flooring to us. It was the one thing you thought you were going to have to build off of uh, you was taken away in an instant and it was kind of hitting the reset button for where do we go from here? So that, that was definitely one of those challenging moments of thinking we were going to have something to really build around. We got MKG and he was here for a while and was a, a stalwart for this team, but he was definitely not Anthony Davis at the time. Mm. Uh, and no one in that draft was 
maybe Bradley Beal turned out pretty solid as well in that top five. Um, but overall, AD was the guy that everyone was looking for. And I mean, it's been proven time and time again, you can sell hope, right? You can sell the number one pick. The number one pick will help this team go back from the promised land. And in that year, there was a clear, clear number one. I, I remember I was at my first year at university and we had just had like our end of year night out, let's call it. And about whatever time the the draft lottery finishes, US time is about 1, 1.30 a.m. some our time. So our night was just coming to the close and I had a sufficient amount to drink alcohol. And um, when I found out the news, let's just say I was not quite in a, a fit state to be able to deal with it in a rational manner. <laughs> I didn't fight anyone. I, did, I just got very, very sad. That was all that happened. Though. There um, might have been yeah. a lot of our fans who got into your state right after the lottery. <laughs> they found that out. So. Yeah. Um, Okay, we're going to pause there for a quick ad break. Then after the break, we're going to come back and hear about some of your favorite campaigns over the years, bobbleheads, all defense campaigns, and also some of your your favorite uniforms. And, And where do we think NBA media is going in the future? So catch us after the break. A new sponsor for the All Hornets Podcast Network, Raycon Earbuds. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts looking to preview the NBA season, and it's been great. One reason it's been great is because I've been listening using my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips and a perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable, they will not budge. Trust me, you can go cycling, you can go running, you need to do what you gotta do, they're gonna stay in. Raycon gives you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. They're priced just right and give you the quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews already. Big thing for me is the noise isolation mode. I I absolutely love that. Love being able to just listen and get in my zone. Also, it's got the awareness mode too. So if you're cycling and there's cars on the road, you wanna keep aware of what's around you, you can just throw that awareness mode on and you can make sure you can hear everything going on to keep your uh, wits about you. So overall, I can't endorse Raycon Airbuds enough. Since you became new sponsor of the podcast, I've definitely upgraded my old wireless headphones that I had. So make sure you go to buyraycon.com today and use code TBPN15. And that gets you 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TBPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. The NFL action is back and we're in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking about touchdowns, big plays and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down stepped-up same-game polos once per game all season long. Make sure you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins and when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 
Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, welcome back. We're with Matt Rachinsky, V of Digital Media for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, great conversation so far. Next, we want to get into some more of kind of fun, quirky, creative. So the Hornets are well known for coming up with some very different campaigns for players, whether it's for all defense, rookie of the year, etc. Um, I want to I want to ask you one: What is the process of coming up with some of the ideas? Because over the year, there's been some <laughs> random things, and then, then also like, do you brief the players and be like, "So this is what we're thinking," <laughs> and then what are their reaction most of the time? I, I, the way it usually works, uh, I give all the credit in the world to Mike Cristaldi uh, over here. He's my boss. And, and since he took over the head of our communications division when he came in, uh, it was something that he had done in Minnesota with some of his players. And you could tell it was really a passion project of his. So what we do is we get everybody in a room from the digital team, from the PR team, and we just kind of throw some ideas out. Okay, we think that Kemba or we think that LaMelo or we think these guys are going to have a shot at this. What do we think we can do? How can we tie some stuff in? And we literally whiteboard it out and throw a but No idea is too dumb. Uh, and we kind of just throw it on a wall and, and see what we think as a group. Not only sounds good, but what else could we build off of once we get a good idea? Because it's not – we've had some pretty good ideas that have just kind of died on the whiteboard because you can't take them as far as how do you bring it into the social space? How do you bring it into, you know – the community, how do you bring it into, how do you get national attention for it? How do you drive all these things? Because that's what they really are. They're, they're awareness campaigns for a smaller market. So it means the world to us when we're able to pull one off that gets some recognition. And so usually it's Mike's job after we kind of determine what it's going to be to make that trek down to the locker room and have to pull one of the players aside and say, hey, here's what we're thinking. And I think you'd be amazed. Most times I thought early on they were going to look at us and say we're crazy. Uh, but these guys love it. They love getting involved in it. They love the ideas that we're able to come up with. Uh, and they and they really kind of embrace it and make it fun for everyone and try and get their teammates involved in it as well. And it just means a lot to them because a lot of those pushes, let's be honest, we knew that we weren't necessarily going to get guys Kemba early on when we made all-star pushes might not have been ready for it or whatever it might be, but they still meant a lot to them that we were willing to invest the time, the man hours, and do what we can to get their profile out there as well. So they're always a blast to work on where we end up taking things. And, and one day maybe I'll have to write a book about all the things we didn't do at, at one that, point. That was going to be my next question here. <laughs> can, can you give us one idea that, that didn't make it for one reason or another that, that sticks out in your mind, which you can share with us? I mean, we, we had an idea when we were looking at Kelly a couple of years, last year, and, and we, were, we were talking about doing chapstick because Kelly likes to blow kisses and stuff like that. But it was like, is that taking things a little too far? Is that what we want to do? Is that exactly where we want to go? Uh, so I think that could have been one that was pretty fun uh, down the line. But uh, there, there's been a handful of them overall. I, 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 I'd have to go back to some of my notes. Like I said, I take precarious notes, and I still have things written down about things that we did bring up. But that's just one that comes to mind off top of head. I could have, I could have seen that. I could have seen the the Kelly, yeah. the Kelly chapstick. Um, and then what, what's your favorite 
from over the years. Um, what's your I, favorite campaign? I think my favorite campaign throughout all of this, there, I mean, there's a couple of them that I really did like, but the uh, the Walker Charlotte Ranger campaign uh, in 2017 for Kemba, when we decided <laughs> to put Kemba Walker in a cowboy getup with a cowboy hat and and pull in Frank Kaminsky to be his sidekick, and we had, you know, action shots that we were filming and filming in the loading dock of these guys knocking down and jumping over barrels and jumping over things. And, and then we brought in Spencer Hawes who ended up singing the theme song for the Walker Charlotte Ranger campaign, uh, which we wrote uh, with Mike and his crew sitting in a room and then giving it to Spencer and asking him to sing it. It was just one of those things where I can't believe this stuff is all coming together the way that it was. And then, when we were able to put it out and showcase it to see Shaq go on TNT and put on the cowboy hat and talk about how much Kemba deserved to be an all-star. It was just, that was a moment for us that was like, Oh man, this is exactly what we want. And not only that, but for it to lead, I'm not saying it was the reason because Kemba obviously was the reason and the way he was playing and stuff, but I'm sure it didn't hurt. And it led to Kemba's first all-star selection. So for us to kind of put in that effort, get that kind of result, have that kind of buy-in. And, and when we do these campaigns, once we start, it's not just the PR team. It's not just the digital team. We pull in everything from sponsorships to ticketing, you know, to marketing. It's, it's, it's a collaborative team effort and how much the organization kind of embraces it. So I think this was the first time that everybody in the organization felt there was a major payoff for it. And so much so that we ended up getting second place overall uh, in the best content for the NBA that season because of that uh, for a content campaign. Still think we should have got first place for it. Still will argue that to a hilt. But uh, Benny the Bull took it from us in some way, shape, or form with a sponsorship issue. So, uh, But, hey, it is what it is. It still was nice to have that kind of recognition from the league uh, as as one of the top campaigns. So outside of that, uh, you know, the year before the win with Walker campaign was fun and we made him, you know, basically like a presidential run for most improved player uh, and, and really embraced that big Al's paint. I mean, putting Al Jefferson in overalls and on a paint can yeah. and having him explain different brush stroke techniques and stuff like that was that just was my favorite. Uh, it was amazing. Just, yeah. Just to bring out that personality of him. So yeah, you like that one? That was it for you? Yeah, that that was that was the one I had down. That was my my personal favorite, you know, because he really was the king of the paint in the NBA, yeah. Big Al. So it, it just it just was so, so the the most perfect things are the simplest things, right? Where you don't have to use much imagination. So yeah, that was my favorite. I think I think Spencer Hawes was was built to sing in <laughs> NBA content videos. You know, the perfect character, surely. Um, for for any for NBA content, great to have Spencer Hawes on the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on. How long we got here? Let's let's skip. We'll skip over. We'll come back to favorite uniforms if we have time. But let's okay. move on to. I want to talk about how will team coverage develop. So we're sitting here in eighteen years future, Matt. You're still here in the Hornets organization in eighteen years. What is what is it looking like? Do you think? Are we talking? virtual reality where do you think it's going here in the future of digital media that's the thing that's so crazy for me is that to try and predict you know 15 years down the road is it's hard to predict 
a year down the road where we're going to be with things, you know, as new platforms show up, you know, TikTok was never something that we thought we would have to get into very, very much. And it's become kind of one of our primary things that we're focusing on as well. So I think that one thing that all of these things do and will never stop happening is provide access. It takes fans and, and enables them to go further behind the scenes and open up that curtain or open up that locker room door or go with our players as they leave the uh, the arena and be able to see what they do on and off the court. And I think, I think that's where things continue to head. And I don't think that that appetite will ever stop. I think that fans are always going to want to know as much as they possibly can about their favorite players that they get to see. Uh, and I think that it's our job to connect our fans with our players in ways that no other, no other organization can, or no other media outlet can do, because we do have the advantage of being right here. We do have the advantage of, Hey, not everything we shoot's ever going to be used. Uh, not everything we shoot is going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that end up on the cutting room floor, but we just need to make sure that the, the basketball operations staff uh, from coaches to players to everything is going to be accepting of us and wanting us to be there. And, and what we've seen over the course of the last few years, especially thanks to the bubble, you know, as everything kind of happened and, and we had to embed some of our teammates in that bubble um, throughout the pandemic in those in that season uh, that really kind of opened that door to behind the scenes content uh it opened that door to hey we're going to be around because we got nowhere else to go inside this bubble so we're going to be at every practice we're going to be in the locker room uh, we're going to be with these guys when they're eating lunches sometimes whatever it might be um, and and it really kind of enabled us to start establishing those connections with the basketball operations staff to allow them to open the door a little more. They still haven't opened the door completely. Uh, I love our b-ball ops staff uh, and what they've been able to allow us to do. And Coach Clifford is absolutely amazing in getting the opportunity to work for him, with him for a second time. And for me, actually, it's a, a third time because I worked with Cliff back when we were with Yao in Houston. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, in Houston, it was – Jeff Van Gundy was our head coach, uh, and and Cliff and and mm. Tibbs Thibodeau were both our assistant coaches with Patrick Ewing. Like so, when we brought over Cliff and Patrick Ewing, I still remember when those guys first walked in the door, and Cliff looked at me and was like, "Oh man, I got to work with you again." But now, <laughs> now I said the same thing to him when he started over again. I said, "Oh man, now I got to work with you again." You know, like it's one of those situations where that's where things are evolving towards and giving that access and opening up that door even more. How, how dealing with the players changed at all? You know, are the players you deal with now from a media perspective, are they, are they more polished? Are they more open? Are they more closed off? You know, and now you say one thing in an interview uh, and it is all over the internet, everywhere. It's on the message boards, social medias. Have you noticed a difference or is it still the same that as long as you build good relationships, you can get good content? I think as long as you build relationships, you can definitely still get good content, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't changed the way we go about doing things because you're right. Uh, I don't know if I would say it gotten better because early on going to these guys and trying to get them to do things on Twitter or trying to get to do them, get them to do things on Facebook and then eventually Instagram and TikTok, like 
that was very difficult early on because you had an older generation of players that are now probably as old as me, you know, at, at that point early in my career. And so when we're bringing them ideas, they're looking at us like we're insane. Like, wh what do you mean you want me to dance? I'm not going to dance and do like, you're crazy. This is, I'm a basketball player. Um, because they didn't grow up with it. They didn't see it much like me. I didn't, I didn't know it existed, but as it, turned out as this these things have grown and built and become significant players in what we do it's not only that they became more accepting of it they grew up around it they've been running tiktok accounts or they've been running ig accounts or they've been running twitter accounts since they were 13 14 15 and have always been on these platforms so once that generation of players came up, it was much easier for us to approach them with some zany or crazy or whatever it might be ideas and get acceptance of it because they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. Or I've, okay, we can do this or whatever it might be. So I think from that standpoint, from a team standpoint, it's been extremely beneficial for us. I think that from a personal standpoint for our players and stuff, they definitely have to be more guarded. Because, you know, you're growing up in the day and age of social media and everything, like you just mentioned, everything you say, do, whatever it might be, are out there. There were things when I worked for the Rockets back in the day that would never leave the locker room. But now anytime somebody's in a locker room with a camera or a phone or whatever, anything can be captured at any point in time. So there's not as, as many places to kind of find as a safe space. So... Thankfully, we work with an absolutely amazing group of guys. I love this team. I love how much they've embraced everything. I love how much they'll come to us with ideas now, or whatever it might be. I mean, it's it's crazy. I, I would have never thought, you know, you just recently on Internal Media Day, we put up that video of LaMelo with the pig's head that we put in the box, the Halloween prop. And I would have never thought that we'd be looking at over a million views on something like that because – he was accepting of it and was willing to take that chance. And these guys don't care anymore about those things and realize this is just part of what they do. Early on, it became an intrusion. We were asking them to do more, asking them to do extra. And now it's just become a part of what an NBA player is. It's become part of what an NBA coach is. They have to be ready for this because if you're not doing this, then your fans are going to be upset and want more of it. So uh, they're still always going to want more. There's no doubt, but it's been fun. so with the emergence of TikTok, we're thinking in 10 years we're going to get full team coordinated dancers full like full team TikTok videos getting head coaches involved and everything <laughs> i mean i could see it happening i'm not gonna lie because i do i do laugh when i see like old posters from like 1988 89 where these hornets players are dressed up in full jumps flight jumpsuits with you know the the flight helmets and the like the maverick helmets from top gun and stuff Somehow they were able to convince them to do that back in 1989. So I think if we're looking at a full team dance at some point in time, yeah, you give me 18 years, we'll see what we can do. Although by that time, if I'm not retired, James, and you don't have my job or something like that by then, then I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to feel about any of it. So <laughs> Great. Well, let's finish just quickly, quick hitter. I know you've got to get off here on yeah. your favorite uniforms for over your last 18 years. Um, um, I think so my favorite. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. So I'll hand it over to you. Let's go ahead. Give us your favorite. Bobcats. I must, I'll, I'll break it down. Bobcats and Hornets because both existed in my time. Uh, people hate the, Most people hate those original first jerseys that the Bobcats came out with. 
but I will always be a fan of the orange, man. I'm telling you, that bright orange. Traffic cone orange, full yeah. orange. And the oh. reason I say that, because this team, I give them credit, because you were coming off of being the Hornets that had an iconic color in the teal, obviously, and you knew you couldn't be the Hornets. You had to be a different team. But they still made a commitment to try and dive in headfirst to one color to make it ours and try and own it. Yeah, I know the Suns are primarily orange as well, so I'm not saying that there were no other teams in the league that were doing it. But they really committed to diving into the orange and those shiny jerseys that just look like pumpkins running up and down this court or, or traffic cones, as you call them. I think one day, hey, who knows, maybe one day we'll be able to bring those out as throwbacks. Uh, but aside yes. from that, the, the checkerboard pattern for NASCAR night from 2007-08 and those blue Bobcats jerseys that had the NASCAR flags kind of running down the side instead of pinstripes, I I always thought that was a cool idea because I feel like we were a little bit of a he- ahead of our time at that point. Uh, I mean, you see all these city edition uniforms now that go a little bit off the beaten path and try to connect in, in uh, city in some other ways. That was that might have been the first city edition uniform technically because we pulled that in because of the tie to racing here in Charlotte as well. Uh, so that Bobcat uniform, I still have one of those at my house that I have hanging up just because I just think it's a a cool uniform. I I had a Raymond Felton one of the NASCAR uniforms, um, which I still which I still do have somewhere. I think for me, my favorite, I'm gonna go one Bobcats as well. I like the 2010 2011 what I'm calling the the Kwame Brown era. Um, where it's just the the blue but with the pinstripes. Yep. It's a, little bit like, a lot of people seem to hate those, but I, I, I like those. And then the original teal in 2014 when the Hornets came back, I, I all those those Hornets uniforms when they came back to Charlotte 2014-15 were, were really nice. And I, I think the teal one is, is my favorite uh, from from now. So yeah, we've had some we've had some good unis since the, the Hornets have come back. I know the fan base have been a, a big fan. Yeah, and I'm surprised how much I've liked some of these um, city edition uniforms along the way. I'm I'm with you. I did like that original first teal with the one stripe. I do like the ones that we have now. Our Icon and Association jerseys, our white and teal jerseys right now, I think they're really clean looking. They have that pinstripe that brings you back to the 1988 era, but also have a different, more modern look that brings you into this era. But the uh, the, the city edition uniforms, kind of starting with that black Buzz City uh, uni that we used to see. The, I think that that one was one of my favorites. That even though it had sleeves, uh, and I know that was a very short-lived thing in the NBA. It was still a, a pretty awesome-looking uni that where that teal and that white popped off of it. The Buzz City minted uniforms we did in 2021 uh, for Lamelo's rookie season with the gold uh, coin kind of pinstripes to harken back to everything in here in Charlotte. Uh, and, and the gold rush and all of that stuff, I think that was a tremendous look. And even last year, I thought it was going to be crazy trying to do those mixtape 75th anniversary uniforms and pulling in different aspects of all of the different uniforms from the history of the franchise. When I first saw them and they put up the renderings of them, I was like, this is a busy-looking uniform. I don't know how this – ombre feel from dark to light back to dark is going to play from shorts to sh- but i'll tell you what when they when we wore those unis on the court people fell in love with them and i fell in love with them too i just thought it was a cool look for us and really we did a good job in bringing around all of those 
previous years and, and seeing what we could tie into making the city uniform. So, and who knows, we, there's definitely more to come and we'll see if some of those will be things that people will enjoy uh, down the, as the years wear on. Well, I, I know the fans are excited to see the new city edition. Uh, the statement jerseys got released just this yep. week. So if you haven't, make sure you go on hornets.com and you can check out the video there featuring Charlotte's very own Cody Martin, uh, starring in the video and some, some good pictures as well. Um, that is everything. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Sorry that you're going to be late to your meeting, but I, oh, I really right. appreciate it. And I, I really enjoyed having this, having this chat and just listening to, you know, your experiences from <laughs> over the years. I, I always enjoy reflecting back on the, the Bobcats Hornets era, no matter how sad some people might think that is in terms of the success. It's, you can't argue it's not interesting. And, and it's what got us here. So that's the important thing too. You know, we, we can't neglect what got us here because that was that bridge between the old Hornets and the new Hornets. Some people might, you know, try to forget it, but I know that people like us who were a part of it and really heavily invested in it, it's always going to be a part of us. And where we figured out a lot of things that we were doing wrong and figured out what to do right, but also gave us that time to really kind of experiment with things because maybe we didn't have as many eyeballs on it that we didn't have to worry about a lot of things um, that you do have to worry about these days as more eyeballs get on you. So it, it was a time that I loved. Uh, I absolutely love this time now and think we're in the best spot that we've been in and look forward to seeing what's going to happen as we continue to grow this team with LaMelo at the helm. I mean, I love Kemba to death with Yao, definitely one of my top five players of all time, but um, to work with. But LaMelo's been great so far as well, not only for us on the court, but off the court. The kids' enthusiasm, energy, sense of humor, it's just infectious. And I, I look forward to us continuing to find those right fan or those right players that fans can gravitate towards. Uh, and it's great to have some of those on our team uh, right now. No, absolutely. Roll on the NBA season. Can't wait to see LaMelo again. And I think I'm going to have to do some form of seance or exorcism, I think, to get rid of the Adam Morrison ghost I'll, in my, I'll send, in my you the Adam right Morrison, I'll send you the Adam Morrison mustache that we gave out you know, back <laughs> in 2013. I, I might need to yeah, burn that in an oil barrel to get rid yeah. of this thing that made the jersey jump off my wall. So I, I better get off and get doing that. Uh, Matt, <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot for coming on. And um, I'll speak to you soon. All right. Thanks, James. It's been great. I'll be on anytime you need me, man. Thanks. Thank you.